This is getting better and better. We, we typically, I don't know if you've listened to any of our episodes or not, but we typically like to do kind of a kickoff question. Um, and so the, our kickoff question for you is, what is making you laugh today? Well, anything my daughter does, because she's three. And mm. so three today, years funny. yes, extremely funny. Like, it is hilarious because you're like, where did you get that from? I did not teach you that at right, all. Right. Um, but we took her to the pool and apparently, so there was these like eight year olds diving into the pool and she, we like looked away for one second and then looked back and she was in that diving stance and just went in and dived. Not even <laughs> Yeah. And it kind of shocked her because she wanted to copy the eight year olds. And then she comes up like, whoa, what did I just do here? And she literally just dived into the pool. So that made us laugh. Yeah, that's not wow. terrifying at all as a parent that your three-year-old just Jeez. goes and dives in by herself. Gosh. Well, we're in um, survival swim lessons with her right now, and so she's learning really okay. skills. But she's just getting too much confidence at two and I like, oh, well, I guess she's almost three. But Miles, that's a good definition. Maybe you and I have too much confidence from time to time. We do when we're yeah when we're doing this podcast and we're talking to people maybe we just I can't believe you want to like one up a three year old all of a sudden we're talking about the three year old who's got confidence <laughs> and now you spit it to us having confidence I'm sixty and you're forty we're talking about a three year old let's stay with the three the concept of the three year old with confidence <laughs> all right now it's you not have about way you too Steve. much confidence it's you have not way about too much you, confidence Steve. right now <laughs> can somebody have too much confidence though really I mean maybe I don't know. Yeah, that's a good question. I'm not sure. Well, and on <laughs> well, that note, folks, we do want to welcome you to another episode of the Evolve Podcast. Uh, the man who thinks things are interesting, in our resident intellectual himself in Oberlin, Ohio, is W. Miles Riley. Welcome, Miles. Wow, he said resident intellectual. I yeah. usually get beat down with these introductions. <laughs> okay. I'm trying to make you feel good today. Thank you very much. Glad you're welcome. I could Steve I could and... tell that your overconfidence uh, needed some building up. No, that's not overconfidence. I'm I'm drinking a little caffeine because of my night last night. I'll explain that later with my All son right. and the toothache. So I'm more like for two the, hours. That's for the late night podcast episode. Well, and in the mountains of Utah, I am Steve Cutler. Today, uh, our guest is a woman who is going to inspire you to evolve your soul. Uh, we are fortunate to be joined by Abby Daw. Abby Daw has yeah. been teaching for 18 years in various studios throughout Utah. Uh, she is a registered 200-hour, 500-hour, and it's a 300-hour yoga therapy certification through the InBody Academy. Abby's also trained with Anna Forrest and has completed her advanced training in New York City in 2013. She's an entrepreneur at heart and won the Entrepreneur of the Year in 2015 for Salt Lake City's Women's Business Center for her first business, Sweat and Soul. Abby is also currently the founder of Magic Breath and Meditation, which empowers women to embody their light and live their purposes through her transformational breath and meditation courses. 
She's recently launched her magic mentoring business where she works with women on their journey to embodiment and finding their purpose. In Abby's spare time, I, I had to laugh at that part because I don't even know that you have spare time, Abby. But in her spare time, she enjoys mountain biking and drinking coffee. She's currently writing a book and aspires to be an author that, uh, and will complete this dream in 2021. Abby Dot, welcome to the Evolve podcast. Yeah. Thank you. Gosh, I love to hear these little intros. It makes me feel more, I don't know, accomplished. <laughs> Well, you are super cool and super accomplished, so we're we're really excited to have you on. And you've lived kind of a cool life. I mean, you have taught yoga, you have taught uh, group fitness classes, you've uh, taught meditation. Um, you know, as I was thinking about having you on and uh, some of the things that inspire me about you, you have you've been through different aspects of health and fitness, but I remember one time when you and I were talking about a job that you had where you were going to the office and you uh, somebody was complaining about some food that they had. And you thought to yourself, why am I sitting here listening to this? I'm not I shouldn't be in this corporate world anymore. Uh, can you tell that story? Because I think that's a perfect description of why you do what you do. So this was right, oh, this was July, 2019. And okay. I would, I was working for a company that was great. It was a great corporation. I, I just started to notice probably six months before that I was getting that like groundhog day. I'm going in, I'm doing the same thing. I started to just observe a little bit differently the way things were happening around me in my environment so I would notice that like one o'clock the same person would go and throw away whether it was a McDonald's bag a Kentucky fried chicken bag or something in the garbage next to me and it's seriously like it happened every single day then I see the same group of people go into the kitchen and they'd be like let's go on a diet coke break and they would get so excited uh -huh. about going to diet coke break in the break room and I, I wasn't trying to judge, but I was just sort of, I, I was just like in observation of what was happening and people with their headphones on drowning out all the noises. And I'm just wondering what they're thinking in their heads. And I, then I started thinking about, well, I wonder what that person wanted to be when they were younger. I wonder if that person wanted to be a pilot or a, the first astronaut or whatever. I was just thinking like, are people drowning out their dreams because they're so conditioned to do the same thing that everybody around them is doing. And it seemed like this just machine. And then they announced on July 4th that we would have an early day out. Everyone was excited about it, but before we would go home early, we would be able to have the great pleasure of having a soft serve ice cream machine delivered to the office. And everybody was <laughs> so right. excited about this experience. And I, oh. I kind of was just like, I mean, yeah, it's great to have soft serve ice cream. And that's a, a great benefit of working in corporate America. But if I really wanted soft serve ice cream, I could just go and get it myself on my way home from work. And the fact that people were getting so excited about this experience, I was like, in one single moment was like, I'm not doing this. I I'm living for more than this. And so I kind of make a joke about it. Now, actually it's a chapter in my book, my 
uh, I'm more worthy than soft serve ice cream on the 4th of July at work. And that's <laughs> sort of the beginning of me telling the universe source, whatever that I was want, I wanted more in my life. What a cool story. I love that. I forgot that it was a soft serve ice cream, but it, it, so Abby, in that moment, did you almost feel like you were just, was it an out of body experience or were you living in a different universe and you were looking in on the universe that you were currently in and saying, wow, I'm in the wrong space or what, what did that look like or feel like for you? It truly did feel like I was having an out-of-body experience. I've sort of had those experiences often in my life. It was, I mean, that conversation had happened maybe 30 minutes before. And then there was this just ginormous line um, lining up for hamburgers and hot dogs because we were also having a barbecue that day. And everyone was just holding their paper plate, getting ready to get their hamburger hot dog and I just I, I was standing outside of my body and being like whoa holy I just had this download and it was like I have this one life and no judgment here everybody can choose the life they go but for me I wanted to get out of this it felt like I was being hypnotized I I was like I need to break free of this mind yeah, just this effed up thing that was, I felt like you, I just You can swear up. on our podcast. It's okay, Abby. Okay, I didn't know what to say. Yeah, I was, yeah you're good. <laughs> Cut loose, sister. Huh? Cut loose, sister. Cut, yes, I just needed to cut loose. I, when I, yeah. okay, I was having a mind fuck in that moment, and I was just like, I got to get out of here. I got to live yeah. my you know, when you get a taste, when you get a taste, I always think when you get a taste of the cosmic, it's hard to go to places that are contracted because the cosmic is expansive. And most most jobs in, 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 in this country, you know, probably all over the world, they just they really contract you, you know, most of them. Um, not all. Yeah. There are some jobs out there that can actually expand you. But when you get a taste of the cosmos and you realize how large life is and you're connected to this grand scheme of things it's hard to be put in some pigeonhole it's really difficult i've been through that a lot and i've battled my way out of it so i totally understand what you're saying i totally get that yeah i think it's pretty common we have those experiences where it feels like an out-of-body right and because we're connecting to something that's larger than us yeah and you know i actually have learned to appreciate where I, every step that it took to get to this point, I'm glad that I had that moment where I woke up and I'm glad that I had the experience that I did for those three, four years that I was there. And I learned stuff about myself, but yes, I've always been somebody who is challenged. I like to challenge myself and grow. I don't like to stay complacent or stuck in my, I have to be, I'm a grower. Yeah, for sure. I think it, not only are you a grower, but you're a courageous person who puts yourself out there and who, um, you know, despite maybe the not going with the status quo, you just throw yourself into what you feel like is going to be best for you, right? Yes, I so do. So I want to I kick back um, and talk about the courage um, and, and some of this, the courage that it took to make some of the decisions in your life. 
um, you know, you grew up in a, in a really conservative household, right? Really conservative religion. And at a certain point you said, Hey, this is not, this is not for me. Um, I've got to make a shift. I've got to make a change. Um, talk about the, the courage that it took to make the changes in the life, uh, to live true to who you are. Oh boy. I, uh, I started knowing, noticing at the age of six when we lived in Scotland and believe it was 1987 at 1987 or 1988. I lived in Edinburgh, Scotland with my family and I was six years old. And I remember watching the movie Lion, the Witch in the Wardrobe on TV. Mm. And I yeah. would watch that on repeat because there was something about the ability of these young cartoon characters to go into this closet and come out into a magical world and i started to believe in that magic right off the bat because there was something about me where i felt like when i got to this planet there was like do i fit here is there a secret that i i, I felt extra sensitive and i felt extra too sensitive in a, in a way. In fact, that was like a nickname for me. You're just so sensitive. So since a young age, I just had this almost this deep down void that I didn't know how to connect to or feel. And it was always just anxiety because I was like, like, I didn't feel like I belonged here. And I always just felt like I had it. Like, I, I almost felt like I had a curse on me. So watching mm. that, movie made me feel like oh maybe I'm kind of like these guys where I can just like go into this wardrobe and create my own magical world and you know as I grew up the sensitivity got even worse and then when I was 14 years old I just it's not that I I mean because I've always been somebody who wants to do what's right I'm a I wanted to be a good girl I was a people pleaser because I I truly um I didn't, if I felt like if I didn't, then I, I would be not okay or I wouldn't be safe. So at 14 years old, I've, I had this inkling inside of me. It wasn't the normal thing that you would think like somebody own, like figuring out what, like having issues with their sexuality. I just felt like there's something different about me and I don't know what it is, but I, I don't feel the same that everyone else feels at this age. I'm not, I'm not at the same place that they are at like everybody's getting so excited about their boyfriends and all my friends were talking about their whatever and I just felt so alienated and so I started to have the thoughts that you know I could be gay and I didn't really know how to even say the word at that age in 1994 and mm -hmm. I was in a religion and you know and I had to fight that battle for the next 15 years I came out when I was 30 years old but the way the way I don't really know how I was able to have courage. I think my mom was a really great one for that. She was really always there for me. She knew that I, it's almost like she saw that I was struggling so deeply and, and just told me constantly that I was special and I was her star and God made me exactly the way I was supposed to be. But I was put on Prozac in the seventh grade and mm. I was pretty much <laughs> numbed with different medications all up until college when I finally just flushed them down the toilet. And then when I turned to athletics, I ran a lot of marathons that kind of saved me as well. I felt like I ran away from what I was trying to, 
I didn't want to confront it. So I was running from it and sort mm. of just did that up until when I met you, Steve, at Lifetime Fitness and just thrived in the athletic world. And I feel like really the running actually did end up saving me from not harming myself. And it did keep me courageous. Yeah. What a, what a uh, cool thing to think about, but it, what a, what a difficult path too to have to go through. And I'm sure that there are many kids out there that uh, have felt the same way. And I've asked that question, you know, like you said, you maybe you didn't even know what the word was at the time, but what do you do, especially if you're growing up and you're being told that the way you are, it maybe is wrong or maybe it's a sin or, you know, or whatever, whatever is promoted. That's a, that's gotta be a really tough thing as a kid to try and reconcile in your brain. Oh, I would go to school. I mean, it's one of those things that the thought never left. It was an obsession. It was OCD. Mm. I would come home and I would sleep with my book of morning, hoping that I would be saved. I would sleep on my couch with my little dog and my book of Mormon in my arms. And then at night I would sneak down to my brother's bedroom and sleep with him because I told him what was wrong and he really comforted me. But yeah, I mean, I hated going to church because I felt like if I took the sacrament or did what I, I was hiding the secret that again, I was going to be dressed down to hell. And so I had to do that every day of my life. So when you came out, Abby, what changed emotionally, physically, spiritually for you? I remember I was working at Lifetime Fitness and I had just sort of transitioned a little bit to Salt Lake City and was working at this yoga studio. And I had found this community of people that felt very safe for me and I remember I was living at my mom's at the time because I had just broken up with my boyfriend that I was trying to date. I was trying to marry somebody. I was trying to do what was right. Mm-hmm. And I had just broken up with them because my grandfather passed away. And I just knew that. And when my grandfather passed away, there was a big shift in me. It was like, I don't want to be with this person and I'm not going to force myself. And I went home from work from lifetime and I, put my running shoes on and I started running down the trail and there was a 30 second to Mars song that came on and the words of that song spoke to my soul. And I just started running faster and faster, almost not running from me anymore. I was actually, actually, uh, meeting up with my, I got off of that run because of that song. And I, went home and I told my parents I'm moving out and I found my place up in Salt Lake city. And then I came out probably a few months later, I just decided to come out. Oh, and I did do something pretty funny. I, I, I mean, I went, I have a really great relationship with my parents, by the way, they're wonderful. But at the time, my, my father was the Bishop of the singles ward that I was still trying to go to. Mm, And okay. and do the thing. And when I decided to finally confront and be okay with who I am, I went to fast and testimony meeting. It was a, it was just a normal testimony meeting. And I sat in the back row and I remember the skirt I was wearing and I decided I'm going to get up and walk that long walk from the very back um, and get up on that pulpit. And I stood there and I said, today will be my last day, at this church. 
And I said, because I am no longer going to be told what I should know. And I believe in myself that I am just, I'm, I basically said, I believe in the te- testimony of myself that I know that this is not right for me. Mm, wow. <laughs> I, I walked straight out the door and never went back. And you, that you were 30 at the shock time? For dad. How, how, how old were you at the time? I was, I was 30 years old and I wasn't really, I wasn't rude about it. I wasn't, I was very well-spoken and articulate about it, but I can guarantee you my dad probably was like behind me and I just left. I left and uh, never went back. Wow. I took my power back, something that took my power for so many years and that was my way of doing it. Yeah. Yeah, what a great way to take your power back. Talk about once once you came out, what was the, you know, I'm, I'm sure that that was a very liberating and freeing moment. Um, mm-hmm. And like you were talking about with the running and where you had that, that liberating moment there too. But change and evolution takes time and being comfortable with yourself is not something that it's like a light switch. It takes practice. It takes time to, to get to. What was that like after you came out? to get to the point where you were then very, very comfortable with who you were, what your voice is, and that you, you know, have, you have this voice to share with people. Well, I, my first, the first mentor that I had outside of being in that community and going to, to the yoga studio in Salt Lake city was a woman who kind of blazed the trail before me and I felt very comfortable around her and she came out before me and Mm. sort of gave me the permission to come out myself but there was I came out on 11 11 11 uh and I was at it I was at a yoga retreat and there was a woman we were all sitting in a circle and Heidi Ormsby was there and you can at, she still remembers this moment. And I was sitting next to her actually in this huge circle of like 60 people. And this woman that was gorgeous from across the way, cause we, we have to pass this mic around and introduce ourselves. And this woman gets the microphone and she's like, I just have to say something. And she's like, Abby, across the way is just this beautiful woman and I'm noticing over there and I'm just going to announce that I'm, I'm into her. (laughs) (laughs) People. And this woman was beautiful. I mean, she wasn't the stereotypical, you know, lesbian person. And I wasn't really, I wasn't into that look either. I'm really into beautiful feminine. Mm -hmm. I love I, I'm a feminine woman. I consider myself that. But Heidi was like, whoa, like you, you know Heidi. She just started like flipping yeah. out. I I kind of it just kind of like sunk into me. I'm like, wow, this is really happening. But in that moment, I just I was like, this is my truth. And it it was like so, took someone pursuing me and telling me I'm beautiful. And then just later that night, after we had like a drum circle, my friend Lindsay came up to me and sat next to me and she just said, are you finally ready to be who you are? And I said, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that How was beautiful cool. is that? Yeah. 
Well, you've got a lot of people in your life that I know are very supportive of you and very loving of you. I mean, I love you to death. I always have and love you for who you are. And I, I know you've got a tribe around you of people that just love and care about you. What about people that maybe saw you in a different light or maybe were not supportive of who you are? What yes. did that look like? I nannied for a family for about eight years. And as soon as they found out I was no longer in their lives, I also had a couple people just all of a sudden stop talking to me because of that. Uh, it, but mostly I'm very lucky. I had a family that really accepted. In fact, when I came out, most of them said, congratulations. We knew all along. I mean, we knew the moment mm. you started basketball jerseys to school in seventh grade and listening to Sarah McLaughlin. <laughs> <laughs> That's a prerequisite right there. Sarah McLaughlin. Yeah. Right? And yeah. just kind of like, they just really embraced me. Um, but the people that did not, you know, I, I, I am lucky. I didn't get a, a lot of that, but what I have gotten over the years and just one last week, actually messages saying, Abby, I don't know if you knew this, but you gave me the courage to come out. Wow. I got one last week from a woman. I got one from my cousin after his, his mission. He told me that I gave him the courage to come out and be who he is. Cause I have a gay cousin now. And uh, a lot along the way. So I've gotten far more of that kind of feedback than the hate. That's amazing. Yeah. I think yeah. a lot of that, at least from my opinion, has got to be due to the fact that you are a very open, vulnerable person, but you're also very um, courageous with the way that you tell your story. So talk a little bit about the vulnerability. How do you continually foster this sense of vulnerability that you carry with you? I get asked this often. It is, it has just been natural for me. I don't have a hard time sharing the heart that I have inside of me because it's like, it, it just, it just comes out. It's a gift that I've been given to be able to share my story with just I don't care, honestly, what people think about me, really. Um, I, I, I feel like I, I, if I don't share who I am, then I will just shrivel up and die. I, mm. I have to, someone told me that Abby Dobb made vulnerable <laughs> legal. <laughs> yeah. That was a, you... That's a phrase that I got a few years ago, but I feel like the vulnerability that I share is not a need it's not a need for someone to tell me something. It's just my, it's just who I am. I can't really explain it. It comes from a very authentic place. And I think that's what makes it so impactful and so powerful. I'm sure you've run into people through your um, yoga, your meditation, uh, teaching, coaching, all the stuff that you've done that have struggled with this vulnerability. So what's a, what's a step that somebody can take to, open themselves up more and become more vulnerable. It's going to be hard whether you do or you don't. I just say, choose, choose the hard where you become more you speak your truth. Because if you don't speak your truth, it's still going to be hard. You're going to feel it. <laughs> if you speak your truth and it doesn't agree with somebody else, that's going to be hard. 
and that might bruise your ego a little bit, but the more of us that are true truth speakers and people wanting to just be fully themselves, that's what's going to make this world a peaceful and better place to live in. The more that we all speak who we are and have the courage to do that, you're going to maybe save someone's life, actually. My story has maybe saved a few lives. And that's where I think about these gifts that I've been given or these challenges in my life. I'm not a victim to them. I, I would never have maybe picked that as a kid to go through that. But now I look back at it and I think, wow, this is a gift. This is my treasure. This is my way that I get to speak on this planet and help grow it and evolve it and make it a better, more meaningful place to live and hopefully along the way, inspire others to be themselves. You know, you yeah. know what I'm thinking? Uh, it's, uh, I'm playing with this idea um, and it just came to me while we're having this conversation and the, the use of the word vulnerable, I'm starting to play with it in the sense that does vulnerable mean if you if if since most people live in their own cocoon and their hardened shell, and so the people who are more attuned to or aware of their awareness, aware of where they stand in the cosmos, so aware of how small you can be inside of all of this information and beauty, that kind of makes you vulnerable. And if we look mm -hmm. at it and, and contrast it with the people who have these hardened shells, maybe the people who are vulnerable, they're not really vulnerable, they're just normal. Their, their antenna are still highly tuned to what's going on around them, you know, what, what, their, what their passions are, what their weaknesses are, what their, how they know how to nuance themselves. And maybe mm -hmm. that's the normal, because if you look at children, all children are vulnerable. Yeah. You know, there are no yeah. children that are not vulnerable. And somehow as they get older, the shell starts to build around them. So they lose that. So maybe vulnerable is just really normal. And the people with the hardened shells, that's the issue. You I'm know, just spitballing I, here. I read a quote this week that is exactly kind of what you're saying. It's like, honestly, I've been told I've been crazy a few times in my life it's been it's mm. been a word for me because I do things I put everything into what I do and I do I take risks in my life and people are like you're crazy why you're just crazy you're too passionate you're too much you're too this you're too that and I read this quote the other day and it's like the crazy one it said at the end of it it was a quote by Jeff Brown but I I won't try to repeat it what he said but at the end he said the crazy ones are who are going to save us because yeah. the vulnerable, the crazy, because there he said, basically, those are the ones that get it that are more normal. Right. The crazy ones are the normal ones is basically yeah. what he said. In the I, have, I think I that have, when you do strip that away, like you're talking about, Miles, when you strip away all of the, um, the cocoon that you're sitting in, you do become um, more aware. But I would agree. I think you're more yeah. in control. Because you're not, you know, we call it vulnerable because maybe I'm sharing an emotion or a feeling, but you're totally in control at that point. If you're denying your feelings, if you're denying the passion that's inside of you, you're not in control of your life. Somebody else is, or an idea is. Right, exactly. 
So it's interesting at, um, um, what Abby said, because I, you know, I have a 13 year old son and my 13 year old son, he thinks I'm absolutely weird. He thinks I'm weird. And whenever he says, you're so weird, I smile and go, I say, thank you. Thank you very and much. I, thank you very much. And yet I always get these moments where I see him because he's 13, you know, his little hormones are kicking in, you know, but he, he totally sometimes emulates the things that I do that he doesn't realize he's called weird. So yeah. we have this kind of great relationship where he thinks I'm weird. He calls me out on it. But yet every once in a while, I catch him in a corner doing the very thing that he's accusing me of being weird about. And so it's, it's, it's how do you stay like that? How do you, you keep, you know, being attuned to what's going on in the world and, and, and art and literature and, and, and physicality and all those things that make you vulnerable, weird, crazy, because once you explore those, you start to get ideas yourself. And that's where people start to say, oh, you're so weird. Yeah. And they just yeah. haven't gotten out of their cocoon. People are inspired by vulnerability. I've gotten more of that. Like, thank yeah. you for vulnerability. Thank you for being you who you are. You've given me the courage to be who I am. And yeah. I, I feel like the vulnerable people are the leaders. And I, I just feel like I was a born leader and I want to lead the way for, for that. That's just how I feel. Yeah. And I think, you know, Abby, it goes to a conversation you and I had uh, probably a month or two ago when we were talking about having you on the podcast. And one of the things that um, I want to make sure we discuss is this idea of non-judgment or not leaning into judgment of other people. Now, my observation is the people that are quote unquote weird, the passionate people, the people who are living a vulnerable life, they tend to be less harsh critics of other people because they're true to themselves. And so then there's no need to criticize other people. Now, now there may also be very observant. And I think um, you, one of the things you and I share is we tend to be very observant. We're also sarcastic um, in our humor, but as far as like truly criticizing somebody, the people that are open and vulnerable tend not to be the ones that are as judgmental. I agree. I, I have really stepped into this place of where I was looking at how I even judge. And when we judge, that is the quickest way to fall out of alignment and to move into this place mm. of judgment really is an energy of fear. It's a fear-based thing. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. It really just makes you feel worse, but people don't really realize it because they maybe have gotten so used to it and they're around it all the time. And, and then the people who are non-judgmental, you, you really notice that how mag like there's, they have this magnetism about them and you actually want to be around them. I mean, they're those people that you're around and you know, they're going to gossip. You just know they're going to gossip. They get a high off of it. And I <laughs> that person where they are like, that girl doesn't gossip. Yeah, that girl yeah. doesn't judge. She's inclusive. She's, uh, she's, I, I try to just look at everyone that I'm around and just be like, everybody has a story. So talk about that when you're, because I know you work with a lot of people through the yoga, the breath, the meditation, in helping them to overcome some of their personal challenges. And judgment is often just a reflection of the negative feelings that someone feels inside of themselves and almost really has nothing to do with the other person. 
How do you walk somebody through this process of overcoming their habit of judging? I get them into a place first of just observation. So I get them into a meditative state or a breath where they get there, they do the breath work and then they, I have them go into more of like a somatic sensory meditation where I have them start to observe their body Mm. and they immediately judge it. And I say, instead of like becoming what that feeling is, why don't you just, instead of like, uh, yeah, judging what it is or what it could be, just instead feel it and then let it pass by. And I just sort of teach people that way through the body of observation versus like, if they have a thought that's like, oh, I'm unfit, I'm unhealthy, I'm ugly. Uh, they have that thought in the moment because they, they tell me that. Then I try to teach them that thought is just a thought. It's not a fact. And if we can just observe that thought and let it go, then we can, instead of be more compassionate and, and less judgmental, I guess, I just get them into that place of observation. Yeah, I like that perspective of observing first. It's funny because we use judgmental terms all the time, especially relative to our body, the things that we eat. You know, I can't I can't count the number of times that I've heard somebody say, oh, I'm, I'm eating really good now or, oh, I ate really bad. And I think, well, what, what does that even mean? There is no good or bad food, right? There's food that has more nutrients to it. There are food that uh, are less nutrient dense. There's no good food. There's no bad food. Maybe there's food that doesn't taste as good uh, to our palate. But it's amazing these terms that we just throw out there about ourselves or other people or food or you know our relationship to our bodies, our relationship to our mind, our relationship to our soul. When you get people into this sensory experience and you have them starting to observe, where do you go from there? I have them, once they start to feel it, I have them just breathe into it. And I teach them all about the the importance of recognizing that everything is impermanent. So this thought that you're having is Mm. just a thought. It's going to move out of the way. We don't have to become the judgment or the thought. We just have to observe it and just know that it's going to pass by. And that we just, we, all of us are attaching too much to identities, to uh, things we've been told we are as we are ki- our kids and instead right. we, become, we become it we don't just feel it for a moment and let it go and then it's it continues mm. to traumatize us over and over in our lives because our cells remember everything we tell it and so the way to heal that is just let your body start speaking to you but without judging it and just let it go by and then let it go because again they're just temporary impermanent feelings. Well, I like how you're talking about breathing through that, because one of the things that I think that people don't really understand, you know, there's a phrase out there, fake it till you make it. What you're talking about when they're observing and then they're actually making their body respond in a certain way by breathing. Because when you tap into deep breath, you're tapping into the part of the nervous system, that parasympathetic part of the nervous system that will tell your body to calm down. So you're not faking anything. You're not faking this 
feeling you're 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 feeling the guts the 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 grit of that judgment but then you're saying i'm not going to go to that i'm going to choose to make something different by breathing mm -hmm. into this because i think if people observe their breath when they're critical it tends to be short it tends to be more huffy puffy type of feeling and then that raises things like cortisol or epinephrine or norepinephrine in the body so that adrenaline gets gets spiked and then they feel horrible about themselves, right? So I love that you're saying breathe into this because it's not fake it till you make it. It's make it. And you're truly rewiring the brain. You're rewiring the overall nervous system to respond in a different way. Yeah, I mean, oh my goodness. I'm the biggest breath nerd. I think that breath is the best kept secret. And we don't even know we haven't even tapped into what our breath can do for us. I have been breathing for exactly 18 minutes a day for about a year now. And mm. literally before that, never really noticed my breath that much. Honestly, I mean, I did yeah. I was an instructor, but in the way that I have able to transform the way my brain, uh, the, my, the way my brain now can just like move through things that I would have just gone off into this huge spiral about because the breath has taught me that it's just most of the time our thoughts aren't really that they're not true. Yeah. By being yeah. My body, the breath creates embodiment and, and healing that way through releasing through the cells. And then our, our brains don't, our bodies need to process, not the brain. Yeah. I think also, um, Steve, we missed it. Abby gave us the next t-shirt. Oh, what did I I'm miss? A, I, I'm a breath nerd. Oh, I, I like that. that. Be on a Shouldn't that be on the t-shirt? <laughs> we need to draw a picture of somebody breathing with some nerdy glasses on. I like that I, one. Yeah. I, I'm nerd. a breath nerd. I'm a breath yeah. nerd. <laughs> yeah, that's beautiful. Breath is everything. It really is. And it makes a huge difference in people's lives. Uh, Abby, talk a little bit about what are some of the, um, what are some of the most common judgments that people have about themselves or others that you help them to process through? Usually the judgments that they have about themselves are proofs that they've taken that somebody else thought was true about them, but really isn't. Uh, so someone told them when they were little that they were not worthy and they carrying this judgment about themselves their entire life based off of whatever feedback they got from somebody else who obviously was just didn't think they were worthy. And I just, I kind of tell them that there's this Deepak Chopra thing that I feel really helped me back in the day when he said, think about a red balloon and say, I am a red balloon. Do you believe it? No, you don't believe you're a red balloon. But if you say it every day for 40 years of your life, you're going to believe you're a red balloon eventually. Yeah. And so I sort of tell people it's whatever you believed about yourself to be a truth that really wasn't and i i i basically asked them to inquire more about why they believe something like that and i try to kind of help them through the process of undoing or unbecoming what it was in the past whether it was just 
from their lineage, their like, or from the way they were raised or what their parents' beliefs were or what their teacher judged them about when they were in. And I, I asked them to really write these things down on a piece of paper and read them out loud and ask them if they truly, really do believe that. And I think when you see it on paper too, and you read it, it really helps people's perspectives change a little bit more. And they, they actually don't believe it as much when they right. see it on paper. Yeah. When they see yeah, it outside of themselves. Yeah, it's true. I think it's it's important too. I, I love what you're talking about that you make people write it down because when they write it down, they see it. it's outside of them. So mm -hmm. it's now not a part of them. But think about how powerful some of these negative beliefs are. If I say to myself, I am ugly, I am fat or whatever it is mm -hmm. that I'm telling myself, that's a judgment that's harsh. Well, hell, if I can believe that, what about if I believed great things? What if I told myself the amazing things about myself? We'd be fucking unstoppable. Totally. Yes. Right? Yes. So some of the most deprived people or depraved people out there that are judging themselves and other people, if they just put that creative power and said, you know what? I'm going to shift. I'm going to flip the script and I'm going to rewrite who I am. My script no longer tells me that I'm this bad, horrible person. I am amazing. And they write that script. They believe that because if you believe the other stuff, why can't you believe the positive? Totally. I had a moment in meditation where I had been carrying this story around that I was poor. I was meant to be poor, struggle, not have success. My dreams didn't matter. And it was in this moment where I was like, wow, that because I'd been doing this meditation stuff for so long as like, that is a lie that I made a truth. And yeah. now yeah. I'm going to work on changing it. I tell people to do the choose again method. So when they're trying to get out of a thought that is been violent to them, say like, I'm ugly and fat. When they mm -hmm. have that thought, they say, I forgive you for this thought. I know you were just trying to protect me in my life, but I'm going to choose again. And I'm going to choose that I'm amazing and this, that, and the other. And they just start to practice the choose again method and teaching their brain to rewire what it is that they had. And it takes a lot of work. It takes commitment. It's not easy. No, it takes time. Yeah, this is right. this is interestingly enough to take us back to what we were talking about earlier. This is also the pathway to vulnerability because the minute you dislodge yourself yeah. from yourself, you are naked. Yeah. Yes. And, yeah. That's, and that's why when people become vulnerable like that, oftentimes if they don't know the path forward, they'll slip back into old patterns. But yes. this is really a great way to become vulnerable. As, as Abby said, when you're writing stuff down, you, you start to see what you think. And that's the path. That's the start of dislodging yourself from yourself. So I see it. And I'm also a big fan of using the skills that you have. So if you've been an extremely judgmental person in the past, use that because judgment can be a great tool. If I have told myself that I'm dumb or I'm ugly or whatever, Take a look at that belief. Judge the shit out of it. It's funny. I was talking to my dad the other day, and he he said, "Hey, I listened to some you know some of your recent episodes of your podcast, and they were really good. The only thing is, you use you you cuss a little bit too much." And I said, "You know what, Dad? I cuss at the appropriate amount of time for the moment that uh, that I think it is, because I'm I don't believe in using softeners." 
you know, I don't believe that if something is shit, I'm going to call it shit. I want to disrupt my nervous system. I want to call, I want to judge my old shit as shit because I want to create some beautiful stuff out of that. And he laughed at that. We had a great conversation, but I think that as you move forward in life, take that ability to judge and just judge what you used to, I mean, look at it and say, I can't believe I did that before. How dumb was that of me? You know, and laugh at it, make it, make it fun and move forward. Well, Abby, I, I know we're coming close to our time, but I want to run through just a few rapid fire questions for you. Uh, so give me one word or one phrase uh, on these rapid fires. You ready to go? Yeah. All right. <laughs> okay. So let's talk disruption. How do you disrupt your life to spark new growth? I take, I, I, I do something that scares the shit out of myself. Awesome. How have you evolved over the years? Doing stuff that scares the shit out of myself. <laughs> <laughs> Repeat answer. As you've evolved, what's something that you used to believe that you no longer do? Oh, I used to believe that I am meant to just be poor and struggle the rest of my life. And now I believe that I'm meant to be successful and wealthy and happy and abundant. Love it. Last one. How do you tap into your innate creative power? Through breath and meditation. Awesome. Well, and on that note, folks, it is time for us to wrap up another Evolve podcast. I want to thank our guest, Abby Daw, for joining us today and my co-host, W. Miles Riley. Um, we should give Abby a clap for that one. I, I'm with you, Miles. That's great. Uh, we've had a great conversation today, and we hope that you, our evolutionary listeners, took something with you that will help you on your personal evolution. So, Abby, you're always doing some amazing things. What's the best way for people to follow you and contact you to learn more and get involved with what you're doing? Oh, thank you. I I have my Instagram, which is just Abby Daw, A B B E Y. D-A-W and then I just my website www.abbydaw.com I think I'm the only Abby Daw on the planet so if you google me you'll find me that's awesome okay, you, say, you, you say that now and all of a sudden you'll be driving around Turkmenistan and there'll be some Abby Daw in <laughs> <laughs> Turkmenistan that's great I well just... Abby say that again I, I, I Googled to see if there's Abby Dawes and I truly am the only one. Now there's probably. <laughs> yeah, well, Miles will name his next child Abby Daw, even if it's a, <laughs> uh, a boy. Yeah, just as Well, spider. Abby, you, you're beautiful. You're wonderful. Thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, um, thank you, Abby. And we want to thank you, our listeners, uh, for listening to us. But hey, folks, do me a favor, will you? Go smash the stars or the ratings on whatever app you're listening to the Evolve podcast on. Uh, your ratings help us to get more great guests like Abby on the podcast. Miles, you're looking especially dapper tonight. Uh, what do people need to do right now? I'm looking dapper with my New York shirt on. <laughs> you're always well, looking I dapper. Have, I, have, I have my Evolve mug. Um, folks, get on over to the store. We've got a bunch of merchandise that's just so wonderful. I'm sure we have something that speaks to your soul, that speaks to your spirit, whether it be in the guise of a hat, a mug, a sweatshirt, a T-shirt. So just get on over, um, give us a browse, pick out something that speaks to you. 
Awesome. And remember, guys, it takes time and consistency to evolve. But first, you have to disrupt in order to evolve your mind, evolve your body, evolve your soul, and evolve your tribe. Don't forget that you are fantastic. But now it's time for you to get out there and evolve. And evolve. <laughs>